everyone, welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. Um, it's 6.36am for me, because I got up late to do this, because I meant to get up at 4. So very sorry for that everyone, uh, and for my lack of energy, because I haven't gotten coffee into me yet. Um, but that's all good. Uh, I've got a new friend with me today. Um, friend, who are you? What, what, what do you do? Hello there. Uh, well, I'm Philip. I'm from Croatia, and apparently I write tabletop role-playing games since the early 2000s. And since 2018, I've been in love with them, kind of exiting my self-imposed internet exodum. But yeah, uh, I primarily make narrative for games right now, and it's currently... 22 to 7 here, so I'm scabbering as, as hell myself. So, so we're, we're both all not sure what to say. It, it's a good yeah. setting for a horror game. I'm not awake, you're almost asleep. Let's, let's just roll some dice. Yes, I like that attitude. Excellent. So, um, so you are designing a horror game or have designed a horror game? Well, uh, design, the game is basically out. Uh, it's currently in a crowdfunding phase edited because I'm not a native English speaker. So, yeah, my writing is quite wonky. And uh, I need money for it, but the game is playable. It's out. Uh, it's split done. There will be a few little changes when it is fully finished. Mostly editing, mostly layout, and few rephrases and fixes once a bit more ice go on it but all in all the game is done it's been done for two years now and it touches a bit of a core narrative experience which i didn't see in other TTA rpgs now well hmm. i myself haven't experienced those <laughs> now um, i've had a little bit of a read through and Right, like the first couple of sections, because again, I intended to get up much earlier and um, have a more serious read through, but you know, life gets in the way. And I mean, it looks pretty cool reading through. Like, it looks like you've really brought it down to a couple of basics. Like, you know, the only other horror game that I know of in in this area uh, that's like the big serious one is called Cthulhu, and reading through the rules for that, it's a really, really intense character creation because you've got, like, way too many skills. Whereas this has got... Uh, yeah, that was my gripe with basic role-playing, the system that Bob Cthulhu works on. It's it's a good system, don't get me wrong, but it's not a horror system. It just gets in the way of the whole horror experience, in my opinion. Because when you make characters in Call of Cthulhu, you will roll your stat. You will then assign some kind of education. And you will calculate the amount of knowledge points you have to buy skills which have a specific level of this, of that, yada, yada, yada. You go through a character sheet, which is basically uh, one-eighth of it is the character description and seven-eighths just skills, font eight. Yeah. Which just wait what? I yeah I think I think it's a bit much like having a hearing roll, having a jump roll, having a throw roll. It's like okay, 
surely you could have really streamlined this, guys. Like, say what you like about 5th edition. Um, you know, most of that's decided by your stats. Yeah, and yeah, agreed. Can, and yeah. I, I mean, the, I do like Chaosium. I, I like the games. I, I like the 7th edition. It's gorgeous. But for me, Call of Cthulhu is a legacy game. It's a good game, but it doesn't ponder to the stuff people want to see today. As, uh, what is a horror game? It's nothing but a storytelling game. I mean, we're here to tell a story. Story of a character, story of the world, of something. And when the rules get in the way of storytelling, what do you have in the end? You, you have a war game, unfortunately. Because you have to stop with the narrative, resolve the roles, and then continue with the narrative. It's a broken experience, and unfortunately, horror is all about immersion. I mean, you can have all the immersion in the world, and if you have to break it for something, it's done. The session's done for today, and we can all go home. Hmm. No, I understand what you mean. I guess that's kind of why I like, uh, in, in your book, like, you have characters are presented by their aptitudes and um you know the, these aptitudes there's, there's there's five solid ones like the survival awareness larceny knowledge and social and well, which is yeah, great uh, although basic... um i was going to say being an australian uh, i am clearly a larceny a larceny build uh, just like all other australians <laughs> Uh, the idea here was to make sure the character creation doesn't have any builds uh, because of the restrictions on traits and aptitude increasement. Uh, so basically, on the, old, the idea was character creation should serve the game itself. What is the game about? It's a horror game. How does a horror game look like? This, that. No, no wait. Let's stop. Let's research. I actually took a few years researching horror games, different ones, tabletop, storytelling, then paper, digital, everything. And it all boils down to a single thing. It lo should look as close as possible to the old camping stories where you all sit and fire and booga 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 spooky story. And that, that's the whole approach I went with the character creation because I didn't want your character to have stats. They have aptitudes. And as explained in the book, the aptitude isn't exactly something your character has. It's for you as the player to use. It's your thing. It's not a character thing. It's for you. And instead of stats, they are your approach to the story. You're telling about your character. So I think that's one of the bigger breakthroughs which I've made. Because the character creation basics under to the horror game instead of pandering to a system. If that makes any sense at all. I think so, yeah. I mean, it's it's similar to, I guess, like in, in like, say, 5th Ed Dungeons & Dragons, where there is the optional rule where you can say, look, you know, how do you attempt to intimidate someone? And a barbarian can roll on their strength if they do something that is them using their strength rather than their charisma. So, yeah, I agree. That's one yeah. of the things, because... Uh, Oh, come on, uh, it's not just one stat, it's all the stats at the same time. Because if we try to quantify something about a character, 
you'll notice that it blunts and yeah that's a bit of a problem in games because yeah. you have plenty of stuff I would potentially also point out that, look, if someone picks me up with one hand, I'm going to be intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. In fact, as a real-life thing, I'd give them advantage on that. Yeah, mate, you're you're wrong with advantage. (laughs) Look, that 20, I'm very scared. And then it's probably looking funny. So, yeah, um, and some pe- some people can make you afraid by using their wits, their knowledge, their charisma, uh, their observation of you, something. Yeah, it, it's I mean, kind of like uh, Shakespeare, uh, not Shakespeare, Sherlock, that's the one I'm thinking. You know, like, say, Sherlock, if Sherlock was going to intimidate someone, they would simply just start, like, nailing down the, yes, your fingernails are trimmed this way, therefore you're this, you're wearing earrings yeah. that... It's like, oh, okay, cool. And at that moment, I would tell to my parents, okay, so you said that's an awareness dramatic role. And let them do their own stuff. There's one more paradigm which I actually went with. And I myself hate DMing D&D. No, really. I bloody hate it. Why? Players roll, then they say a number, and I'm like, let me narrate this for you. I am the annoying PC voice that tells you what happens. Oh, come on. It's a storytelling game. Let's do our jobs. So, put everything in the hands of the player, actually. Because, come on, it's your character. You tell the story. So, that that's also what you have to use uh, as is. Because, you see the rules. You decide what happens. No, I, I think that's a very good approach. Um, now we do have some questions from people. You've we've kind of verged into one of them rather wonderfully. Um, AJ Pandy, uh, who is at AJ Pandy, um, actually asked what makes a game horror, and you you kind of answered it like it, it's the storytelling. Yeah, it's the storytelling. Uh, I mean, we can debate what horror is exactly. What is fright? What is fear? And all in all, we just want uh state of heightened panic and anxiety. That's what basically horror is. And to create that, you need to be involved into the story. You need to be engrossed into it. You have to actually follow what others are saying. You have to put yourself into it. You have to have perfect immersion. You have to have bleed. And yes, I'm going through all the questions. I'm going to chain them into a combo breaker. I don't want to lose myself in it. And Basically, one one of the other things which, with the revision that's coming soon-ish, uh, when I get to the editor, uh, the safety and other toolkits will be moved to the forefront of the book, uh, therefore, therefore making it easier to understand what exactly is a horror game, what makes this a horror game, and how to set it up. Because... What makes something a horror game? Okay, heightened sense of panic. Like, come on, I'm gonna go on a panic. I don't wanna allow others to see me panic. But it's a horror game. You should panic. You should be right. Would you say with a horror game as well, if there's more of an instance of, say, sudden reductions of agency? Mm, Yes and no. Uh, That was one of the bigger questions. 
Do I remove player agency or do I fully put it in? And I decided to actually go all in and allow players to have maximal agency with their characters. Um, why? I want them to scare themselves. I don't actually want to be the one going ooga booga. I want them to say something and be like, oh, whoa, give me a moment. I scared myself. And uh, by playing around agency and giving the player full agency, but saying, hey, yeah, this is a board game. So let's agree to what kind of agency you have. But you have 100% of it. We create a horror story. Um, basically, agency, yeah, 100%. But here's the but part. Yeah. You're only allowed to do actions, no reactions. If something has to happen, you have to say, I do something. You can't wait for somebody to say, I'm doing something. And yeah, yeah I'm reacting to that. No, no, that doesn't go away. Wait your turn. Tell, narrate, not tell, narrate what happens next. Because uh, in all great horror stories, the characters cannot react. They have to act. They have to actively do some. It's not that you just like adding a reaction would basically remove the fright because you can always do something in response to something. And not being able to do so increases the shock value. Hmm. No, I, uh, yeah, I, I uh, see what you mean. It's, it's like, look, the world is going to do what it's going to do. And you have to be, I guess, aware and comfortable with that. Yeah, and unfortunately, if the player isn't comfortable with that, you cannot exactly do anything. And that's one of the things in horror, which I really, really didn't get in any other game, uh, and it's bleed. Yeah. A good horror story requires you to feel everything what I said before. Now, to feel that, you have to have transference of those feelings from the character to the player via immersion. That's called bleed. Something goes from the character to the player, from the player to the character. Now, uh, you can't have bleed unless you're comfortable in a group. Because yeah, bleed involves... I... Any kind of experience, even that which you don't want to have. And that's considered the ultimate form of bleed, where you 100% merge the catharsis of a story is bleed. Even ancient Greeks had that. And to achieve that, you have to have a safety net. A specific safety toolkit used for you, those at the table, and so on. And as far as I remember, that's one of the questions. And the thing we did on Twitter. Sorry, everyone. Just my, my littlest man has walked in. No, no, it's it's okay. Do you want me to make you a piece of toast? Can you put some Nutella on there? You don't. You do want Nutella toast? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. How about I make you some Nutella toast? Now. Yeah, I'll I'll get that working now. You go. You go sit down in your room. Okay? I'm going to make it for you. No. Yes, I'm getting up. Sorry, dude. One sec. No, no, it's okay. Nutella toast. Can I have it with that? Can I have it with that? That's sugar. No, I want to have it with that sugar. No, no, no. I'm not going to put sugar on there. If you're having Nutella toast, that's got no sugar in it. Look what I've got. See? I got Nutella last night when I went to the shop. 
the teller did that. Nick was inside the Nutella. Have you tried Nutella? Can, you try you, Nutella. can I try? You, you try. I, I didn't try it. You, try, you tried uh, that Nutella? I tried it. Um, everyone, sorry, there's going to be a little bit of an edit in there because my um, my second born came in and had to be fed uh, and dressed. So we've we, there's going to be a little bit of a jump. Hopefully this doesn't muddle things up too badly. Um, now, you were discussing bleed and you were discussing yes. how this works with safety tools. Um, to kind of, you know, put the name out there or the names out there. Um, uh, Pidge Sorensen, um, buddy of mine from Twitter, and uh, Jacob, um, both of them asked about bleed and safety mechanics. Now, this is something I, I think is kind of fascinating, um, because I, 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 you know, what you were saying, which is you need to be okay with feeling vulnerable to really immerse in horror. Would that be correct? Yes, that would be correct. Mainly because, and now here comes a little fun part, um, we've been using safety tools without calling them that way since 95. That's 25 years now. And I was actually confused in 2018 when I learned that safety tools exist. Uh, for us, it was normal to have a pre-game checkup. You do stuff in game and you say, yeah, I don't like this. Let's fade out. And after the game, we all sit and talk about it. And I think it's actually a good way to control the bleed because you have, I don't actually know what correlation do you have an primer, actual stuff that happens and um, accident strategy, allowing you to fully immerse yourself into it. And with that, you can basically start a session, do your whole stuff, and snap out of it once it's done. No harm, no nothing, just fun. Uh, that was one of the things which I want to do with the game, because every whole game I did was a flop unless it was primed, was done, and then debriefed. And that's what I advertise in the game itself. Uh, it's currently in the GM section, but it will be moved for both into the player and GM section because it's required everywhere. And unfortunately, I didn't have mechanics that control bleed. There are only tools and suggestions how to do it yourself because every person is different. You that is react to bleed differently yes. than I do. And I'm trying to include as much information as I can about what is bleed, how to control it, what happens with it, what is important in this game. Not through the rules system itself, but through additional tools and rules and consent forms, uh, session zeros, debriefs, uh, pre-session flight checks, post-session flight checks, uh, support flowers, X tools, just to name a few. Um, support flowers, and... I, that one is one I don't know about. 
support flower. Basically, you have three colors, green, yellow, and red. And when you shift from one color to the other, basically signals everybody else to either a green, go with it, yellow, slow down a bit, red, stop till I say otherwise. Uh, allows a bit more tempo control than, let's say, an X card does, which is basically abrupt top to the game. And allows the allows the overseer GM to basically see ah it's yellow, so I'll say something, wait for everybody to confirm and continue. This allows you to uh, shift without actually going outside the game, but you can shift in the narrative how fast paced you want to be because it's horror. I mean, uh, it, there's going to be jump scares. There's going to be quick stuff. It's going to be gory. It's it's going to be different from group to group. Yeah. And it's important to have some kind of safety net there. And I'm going to say safety net like a bazillion times. So yeah, I work I, around uh, those. I know, tools. I know that every... And, and... Sorry. Uh, I was going to say like... every Not only every group is going to experience horror differently, but like every individual... Is going to have those very different, I guess, level of engagement with different horror themes. Um, like I, I'm not a big horror guy. Like I'm, I'm an inveterate coward, um, and I'm okay with admitting this. It's like, yep, I I know what I am, and that's. But I do want to mm. play at some point something like either this or Call of Cthulhu or. Even though you've said it's not a horror game, it still contains a lot of themes that I connect to horror games, like, you know... Um, why I say Call of Fool isn't a horror game? It is a horror game, yet it is not, in my opinion, because a horror game is one that makes you afraid from itself, not from... I mean, by theory, you could make D&D into a horror game if you could GM. Basically, if they set the pacing, if they do everything correctly, it could be a horror game. But is it a dedicated horse system making it work in that way? No. Why is a dedicated horse system required? Because the game itself goes towards something. Uh, the rules should not be any kind of barrier to prevent you from playing. And that's one of the things that AJ had fun with. Uh, I on purpose made a rule book close to IT documentation. So basically it's closer to an open source cookbook, which you can just say, yeah, I don't even know how this is done. I'm just gonna take the cookbook and flip through it. Hmm. And just go I mean, through the rules because I don't need you to know the rules. Yeah. I mean, I think knowing rules helps. Um especially for DMing a game. Um, but I think we get very, very tied down to rule systems sometimes. Like, I I like to, you know, try and... Okay, like, one, one of the actual plays I'm running is a... Um, like, to both actual plays that I run, I like to try and bring little elements of horror in. Like, you know, one is a spaghetti mm -hmm. western version of Curse of Strahd. And Ooh. Curse of Strahd is inherently supposed to have horror elements like the classic gothic there is a vampire oh, wait, so, sorry I'm gonna, I'm gonna break your 
blathering, but uh, just question. Yeah. I always thought it was Curse of Strad. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on how you pronounce it. Like, if you're gonna, like, you know, uh, go Russian, I guess, you'd say Strad. But... No, okay, I mean, okay, just, just it's, wondering, it's, okay. Yeah, I mean, also it's written in Latin characters rather than Cyrillic. Like, if it was written in Cyrillic, I'd, I'd have a bit more of a, I guess, an understanding of how they'd want to, you know, Slavic it up, or Russian it up, I guess. No, 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 it's okay. Uh, but yeah, um, actually, Curse uh, of Strad um, and all those Ravenloft games are a perfect example of how you can bring horror into D&D. That's yeah. true. Like I, you know, and and it's something I'm, I mean in the um, the spaghetti western Christmas shard thing, you know, I like there to be little introductions to things like, okay, here is a thing you can engage with. Um, it's going to give you a magical item, but it's going to take away the memory of something very important to your character. And if anyone ever mentions this to you, you will be rolling on the short-term madness. So mm. there's a level of, okay, I need to engage with the story here, and I need to decide something important for my character to lose, which means I need to define my character as having something important. Which... Mm, yes. Yes, is yes. Uh, loss is... I mean, loss is a good framing device, uh, for me, uh, it's not exactly a framing device because uh, you lose something, you can always make it up. Even if you do get them back, they won't be exactly as you had them before. Uh, for me, a lot of yeah. horror aspect and any kind of fiction are the facts that even if you do get something back, it's changed. It's no longer you. It's another facet of you, but different. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean by that. Like, loss is... It's an important part of any story, or any storytelling experience. You know, it, it can change a character and make them more interesting, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Hello? It can make a character interesting. No, oh, it's sorry. really weird. I'm here. I'm, this is the first time I don't hear static in Discord. So it's really weird. And yeah, I oh. would say that loss is important. My question is, what what is better for a horror yeah. story? Something oh. being taken away from you, or you having give something? That is a good question. I mean, no, I know, uh, it's actually a hard one which I was playing around, and I was playing around with uh, Mechanic. Uh, I called it Finn at first, and was, uh, no, that's no. And it evolved later on into the Threat Mechanic. Basically, GMs are players as well. Why not get a bit of fun? And I decided that the GM has a pool of threat. What is threat? Uh, basically, it's something that the players have to generate themselves. They have to do really, really, really cliche stuff. Threat is basically a measure of how doomed they Hmm. I, I guess it's like... um. For example, um, Ten Candles has high threat because you know yes. you are going to die. It's just a matter of time. 
Whereas, I guess, like, things like, you know, D&D, Call of Cthulhu, to harp on those two, because they're the biggest. It's like, look, there's the potential of dying. Yeah, but my issue with the potential is, if it's just a potential, what's the point of it in the story? I mean, you have potential for something, but does it happen? Uh, for me, the grammar primary point of horror is that stuff happens. You cannot make it not happen. You cannot stop it. You cannot in any way affect it. It will happen. And that's what Fred is for. And now one of the things that I go over in the book is how to present Fred. There's two options. You can either hide it from the players, make sure that they don't know Creating anxiety from not knowing something, or you can openly show it. Uh, for example, I love to show it openly. Basically, with small bean counters, black ones, and just put them on the table one by one. For every point of threat, one counter. And just watch my players as they notice that they spent a week in game munching on burgers. I'm, I'm not even gonna make shit up now. And they noticed that I put two counters. I was like, what happened? You don't know. Then something again, then something again, and suddenly 20 counters. And they were shocked. Because they were doing stereotypical uh, Hojan stuff. And the issue with it is because a good horror game requires you to act a few, upon a few things. The threat mechanic allows you to actually change the story within the system of the game to create a feeling of dread, of despair for the player. Because at any time, Manic works in a way that the system is... I can't remember the word in English. Give me a second, please. It's alright. I mean, language is interesting. Truncated. Basically, the whole thing, the whole world, the whole narrative is truncated until something happens. That, that's why the dice mechanic is made as is. And as the players are narrating, they say, yeah, something. Ha I do something. Uh, while I'm doing it, I find something else. And, 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 and they add the narrative. Now, uh, the overseer can use this threat mechanic to actually say, no, it doesn't happen. Or change something. They say, yeah, it happens. Discard a few threat points and just smile because you just change the narrative without telling them. You can actually waste points to just keep silent. You can waste points to change things and tell them you change them. Uh, you can waste points to actually introduce monsters. Uh, monsters are basically the personification of all negativity and whatnot in the game. Uh, Think Jason. Think I, Jason. I, I will have to say, like, I love the way you... I, I, I kind of like the way you described there's a difference between an NPC and a monster. Mm. And a monster is like, no, you don't muck around with this, mate. Like, an NPC, yeah, you can you can hit him with a crowbar, um, which is one of the examples that you give a play very, very early on. But a monster is like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. It's a trope. No, no, it, it's a trope. You have to play in trope. Yeah. And basically... 
Yeah, I mean, our brains, our brains stereotype and trope all the time. It's and th- th- that's exactly what you have to play with if you want to have a good narrative. Because players have a specific way they think, you want to play into that thinking. Uh, basically, to make it horror, you have to make them make it horror for them. Uh, a lot of them, 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 them. But yeah, uh, the issue is that I want to get you scared, but I want to make you scared yourself. I have to give you little hints. And that's the whole mechanic behind the game, because I'm not going to narrate 101 pages full of text now, but all in all, the main point behind it is that you do something to make the players do something in turn. That's how role-playing games work. Now, the question is, what kind of input you're giving to the players to get them to give you back horror? That's the point of the whole system. That's that's a good idea. Like, I I like the feedback, the the back and forth. That's very cool. Yeah, that... that... It it kind of reminds me of the... um... The heist clock from um, yeah. Blades in the Dark, it has a thing in there where it's like, okay, if, and, and we only just, like, I've just started using it in my D&D games. Um, you know, so if you're trying to get around somewhere, you know, the, and, and I agree with showing the heist clock to the players because then they understand tension. Yes, yes. But there's a yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for jump scares or, or things coming out of nowhere. But the building of attention, the building of that um, environment and that storytelling feeling, I think is invaluable. Yes, and there, there's a little trick. Uh, you have to see what works with a group. Some groups work best when you show them the signs of time running low. Uh, well, others work best when you say, yeah, time's ticking. How much? I don't know. That, that, that's the dynamic why you have to have a game prep. Because all of this has to be agreed by the group. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good point. Basically, the book is me ranting, yeah, talk to the players. I know. Genius. Talk to your players is something I think every GM. No, 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 not occasion. Constantly, just literally talk to your players, and it creates a specific. Yes, sorry, I was, I was, I was attempting sarcasm, and unfortunately, because you can't see me, it's okay. You can't. I, I know what you mean, but the issue is that most people will not get that sarcasm. They will say, "Yeah, it works at my table," but it's okay. It works at your table, but if you're saying it works. At somebody else's table, it might not. So constantly repeating, yeah, that is okay. It is okay to use safety tools. It's okay to use constant forms. Everything like that is made for you. If it doesn't work for a group, it's okay. Drop it. No hard feelings. I mean, hey, it's here. Use it. Yeah, I agree. 
Excellent. Now, um, Philip, we we have one last question that we always ask uh, on this podcast, which is, um, how do you take care of yourself? What, what's your self care involve? Oof. In game, out of game. <laughs> I mean, related to the hobby or not related to the hobby? Just, just you, just you. I get hit in the head a lot with swords. Um, yeah, like you, I, I've seen you tweet now and then, and like your Discord Twitter picture has, sorry, your Discord profile, Discord profile picture has you with a sword on your back. You do medieval, oh sorry, uh, fencing. Yes, and no, I, uh, I mean fencing. We call it fencing, but it's uh, it's closer to MMA. You've got several disciplines, several <laughs> weapon systems, yada yada. yada. Basically, I do uh, school. Of European martial arts, mainly the RDF, Kunstdesfektens. Uh, it's the German system uh, involving both armed and unarmed combat in and out of armor. So yeah, I've been doing it for the past 15 years. I actually have a little club here in Croatia in my hometown, which I currently lead. Cool. I remember there was that German, there was that video game came out. I think it was called. That's Warhol. from a Slovenian team, I think. Yeah, that's from a Slovenian yeah. team. Sorry, the word I yeah, think it is, is German, isn't it? Called a murder stroke. Yeah, it, it means. Yeah, I think it means like when you grab the blade of your sword and bash the person with the hilt or something. With the pommel and or cross guard. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 uh, it's but. actually quite close, but yeah. Actually, if you pummel somebody with a hilt, cool. you waste too much potential energy, but yeah, that that's training, so yeah. Well, you know, you use all the sword, even the part of the sword that is not the, like, yeah. the sword part of the sword. You constantly use them. Uh, I think that... Uh, Gutenberg or somebody else from Nordics did a good, good, good video and image a post on fighting in a five foot by five foot square using long swords. Where they explained everything. Uh, hmm. It's an old one, but it's utterly good to look at. Okay, I'll have to look at that one. Yeah, Let's look it up. It. It's actually a good representation of how. I mean. How that six foot by six foot combat works. Hmm. Cool. Um, well, everyone, we're going to leave uh, that there. Um, Philip, thank you very much for your time. I'm I'm looking forward to engaging sure. with this product um, at my table, like one of my tables. Like, I have a list of games I want to play, and this sure, is definitely uh... on there now. And well, what I was going to ask is. If people want to buy this and, and find you and talk to you about it, where can they find you? Where do you prefer well, well, I just in most social media. Uh, right now, most engagement is on Twitter. It's on my account, Udo Alia B, because publishing was too long for the handle name, apparently. And they can find the game on itch. Udo Alia publishing itch.com. And as always, I'm open both there 
on Twitter and on Discord. If somebody wants to engage about the game, ask about something or just chat about the rules because I know that everybody learns rules differently and sometimes it's just best to explain things to people in person. So I'm constantly open for that. And and just to kind of help people out, um, your Twitter handle is spelled O-R-D-O-A-L-E-A-P. Yeah, unfortunately. Oh, that's right. Cool. Um, and yeah, I can be found at Nerdy People D and D. Um, please come by, say hi. Please check out the other podcast stuff that I do. Um, and everyone, please, especially around now with things as they are, please take the time out to take care of each other and love each other. Philip, thank, thank you, you and people time. stay safe. Wear masks. Yes, and helmets if you got them. <laughs>